We're going to be talking about the virtue of humility today. And we read from Luke chapter 14, which gives this very vivid picture of humility. And Jesus gives this illustration, this story of a wedding feast. And that when you go to the wedding, instead of trying to find the best seat or the seat of honor, that we should go and try to find the lowest seat. And of course, Jesus isn't just talking about a wedding feast, is he? He's talking about something much more that our attitude in life is to be one where we take the lower seat. That then we will be in a position to where the host can come to us and say, friend, take the higher seat. When we exalt ourselves, there's no room for us to truly receive exalting. But we're going to get back to that uh, passage and that parable. But I want to begin by talking about the ocean. Because I love the ocean. I love standing before the ocean. And I count it a privilege to have gotten to, to leave Tennessee and to get to go down there and stand before the ocean and look at it. And it never loses its captivation for me. I never got, you know, even on the last day, you know, let's go see the ocean one more time. And I didn't go, well, I've seen it already. It didn't lose its captivate. When I got to see it again, it, it never lost that luster. It was always beautiful. I always wanted to see it again. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave it. It was so beautiful. It was so captivating. It's vastness. It's beauty. You stand before it and you see how beautiful God's creation is and how small you are. Then I think about its power. There were some days where those waves were really rolling in. And when I go to the beach, sometimes you run into some of those guys who are a little bigger than you, a little more muscular, a little more upright. And they get out into the ocean, and guess what? They get wore down too. I may get wore down quicker than they do, but even the biggest guy that I saw on the beach would eventually tire down because of the unrelenting power and force of the ocean. If you try to fight with the ocean all day, I guarantee it, it will win. It'll win, no matter how strong or big you think you are. I think about how ancient the ocean is. There have been many proud men to stand on the shores of the ocean. And guess what? They're gone. And that ocean is still there. And then there's that otherness to the ocean, right? There's other types of life. It's different. In fact, one night when we were night fishing, looking for crabs and things like that, in in the night, I got stung by a jellyfish. I wouldn't want to see a jellyfish in Tennessee. But there's something other about the ocean, isn't there? You can't live in the ocean. As much as my daughter wants to be a mermaid... It's other than what we're living in now. It's not air. 
It's salt water. It's other than what we live in in our daily lives. And there is a power to it. And you know what? When I stood before it, there is a profound sense of humility. I'm not all that big. I'm not all that bad. I'm not all that strong. There's a lot I do not know. When Solomon was given a gift, he asked God for wisdom, and God appeared to him and gave him wisdom. And then God appeared to him a second time after he built the temple. And God said to Solomon this, he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That when Solomon was receiving the revelation of God, God said to Solomon, if the people will humble themselves, there is a virtue and goodness and humility that I need to know. When I start thinking about who are the most influential and important people who have ever walked the earth, and I'm sure there's all kinds of people you can name, but who's so influential, who's important, who's smart, who's intelligent, who figured out things? One of the top names that would come to the list would certainly be Sir Isaac Newton. His name is listed sometimes first in the pantheon of geniuses. His name is listed with Leonardo da Vinci or Albert Einstein or Tesla or Shakespeare. When we talk about people who know stuff, we talk about Sir Isaac Newton because in 1687 he brought to the world the three fundamental laws of motion. And when you read them, they seem so simple. But these laws of motion are just the tip of the iceberg because behind these laws of motion come a whole bunch of mathematical equations that will make your eyes cross. He was so smart. He was so intelligent. He even came up with the law of gravitation. He didn't invent it. He discovered it. He was able to pronounce it, enunciate it. And how did he think of himself? Someone who figured out so much. One person once said of Isaac Newton, Nature and nature's laws lay hid in night. And God said, let Newton be. And all was light. You see, because of Sir Isaac Newton, not only did we begin to know about the universe, but we could also begin to predict. Get this where celestial bodies would end up in the, in the solar system. That's a good day's at work, isn't it? If you're able to predict where another body in the solar system is going to be next week, I'd say you're doing pretty good. That's pretty smart, isn't it? And they came and they asked Sir Isaac Newton what he thought about his success, his achievements, his accomplishment, his ability to think. And he said this, I do not know what I may appear to the world, but to myself 
I seemed to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself and now and then finding a smoother pebble or prettier shell than ordinary whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. That's from one of the smartest people that had ever walked the earth. And when he examined his own intellect, his own knowledge, his own window into how the world worked, he had a profound sense of pride? No. Of humility. It wasn't about what he knew. It was about what he did not know. That he had just begun to know something. And that the body of knowledge that he did not know was likened unto an ocean. And he was just playing with seashells. A little boy. Why should we be humble? Well, number one is because pride is dangerous. And when we talk about pride, we're not talking about the usual sense of the word when we say I'm proud of my daughter or I'm proud of my son. We're talking about that overestimation of oneself. We're not, th- we're not talking about self-confidence. We're talking about when you begin to assess yourself and think you're better than someone next to you. And pride is insidious. T.S. Eliot once said it like this, most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. Amen? When people desire to be more, and what we're saying here is that when they overestimate their importance, when they begin to be prideful, then things begin to get dangerous. And if you look in the book of Proverbs, it is replete with warnings to the young to not be prideful, but to be humble. And what's ironic about that is, who is writing the book of Proverbs? The most powerful person in the land. The king, King Solomon, is telling his children, he's telling, be humble. He says things like this, pride and arrogance and the evil way I hate, God says. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride. We begin to think of the dangers of pride. And not only is pride dangerous for those in the world, which we're always good about pointing our finger outside of the building or on the other side of the pew, Over there, there's the problem over here, there. But pride also has an import into religious people's lives. And Jesus gave a parable once that there was a religious man and a sinner that went into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee stood before God and said, I thank God that I'm not like other men, like this publican over here. Hey, I haven't stolen, I haven't done bad things. And then the publican, the tax collector, beat his breast, it says, and it says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in the Greek, it is the sinner. You see, that publican wasn't thinking about anybody else but who? Himself. 
And Jesus says, I surely tell you that one of these goes away justified. And it wasn't the religious guy. Can pride creep into our religious life? It most certainly can. So why should we be humble? It's hard to be humble. Remember the song? That boyhood memory of my dad singing that in the mirror. Goofy song, but here's the number one reason why you should be humble. Number one, humility is truth. Why should you be humble? Because it's true. It's true. And if we are not humble, then we are deceiving ourselves. Listen to the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You see, if I'm walking around with an overestimation of my greatness, I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you, whether it's the color of my skin or the size of my bank account or whatever it is, if I'm walking around self-aggrandizing the self, I'm really walking around in a lie. I'm deceiving myself. And it robs us of the truth of God. Listen to the psalmist. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Prideful people aren't seeking the will of God. Because why? Because they've already got it figured out. C.S. Lewis said it like this. A proud man is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. If you're standing so tall and mighty and proud, you don't have the time to look up. And pride robs us of the reality of God. Because I'm really something. Because I really accomplished it. Because it's all my doing. And I don't have anyone else to thank for it. It robs us of the truth about ourselves the psychologist Carl Jung said it like this, through pride we are ever deceiving ourselves. Deceiving ourselves. We're walking around in an artificial sense of reality thinking we're somebody we're not. And it also, sadly, robs us of the truth about other people. Romans 12.3, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You see, if we think we're so important, we don't give time or ear to someone who might have a better idea. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been that person or have you ever ran into that person who already had it so figured out that they did not have an ear to hear anything else but their own opinion? And humility, listen to me, is the doorway to wisdom. If you're not humble, then you'll never find wisdom. Because understanding that I need to know something, that I can know something, that I can learn something, is the doorway to wisdom. The psalmist said, good and upright is the Lord, therefore He teaches sinners the way, the humble He guides in justice, and the humble He teaches the way. Humility is a way in which I begin to understand because I can be taught. I can be counseled. I can be coached. 
Number two reason why you should be humble is not only because it's truth, and that should be enough, but number two, because humility is Christ. Humility is Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 2. And first Paul begins with this practical, and then he gets into the theological. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only for your own interest, but also in the interest of others. My life cannot be just consumed with what I want. If I am selfish and living a prideful life and not living, helping others, then I'm robbing myself of the truth. And why should we do this? Because listen, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The reason why I need to be humble, the reason why I need to think about other people's interests other than myself is because that is the very example of Jesus Himself. That Jesus lowered Himself Not only to become a human, but to become a servant. Washing His own disciples' feet. Humility is Christ. And number three, lastly, the reason why you should be humble is not just because humility is truth, not just because humility is Christ, which those two things should be enough, but because humility is grace. Does anybody need some grace? Am I the only one that needs some grace in life? Okay. I see a few married men raising their hands. Need some grace from time to time, don't we? James said it, God resists the proud but giveth what? Grace to the humble. And you see, here's the thing. If I am so full of myself, which has been known to happen. Is there any room for me to receive anything from God or anybody else for that matter? If I am full of myself, then I have no ability to receive the grace of God. And that's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? And we need to empty ourselves of our self and of our will and of our pride so that we're able to receive from God. And that gets us back to the parable. When you take the lower seat, then the host can come to you and say, friend, take the higher seat. Take the higher seat. And that's what God is asking each of us to do, is to take the higher seat when we've humbled ourselves. Beth Moore wrote this about pride, and I want to leave it with you. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand it your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of healing because you are too full of you to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you are wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out the window. I cheat you of friendship because nobody is going to get to know the real you. 
I cheat you of love because real romance, real love demands sacrifice. I cheat you of the greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I have convinced you to seek your own. My name is pride. I am a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue. I'm looking to make a fool of you. God has so much more for you, I admit. But don't worry. If you stick with me, you'll never know. Isn't that how pride works? Humble yourself today. Because humility is truth. Humility is Christ. And humility is grace. And I started out by talking about Sir Isaac Newton. But there was another man by the name of John Newton who probably wrote the most influential song in the world. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If we're truly humble, we can receive the most beautiful gift of all, which is the grace of God. Do you desire that gift today? To know the salvation of God. It is transformative. It brings you the higher seat when you take the low seat. Pride turned angels into devils and humility turns men unto angels. It's transformative. If you've never named the name of Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. It begins in faith, believing in the Word. Repenting of sin. Repenting of pride. Repenting of those attitudes that get me in trouble. Confessing Jesus to be the Son of God. I acknowledge His authority and His power and His goodness. That there's something above me in which I need to submit in humility. And to be baptized into His name for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38 Or maybe you're a Christian this morning and you need prayers of encouragement or prayers of healing. We want to offer you the opportunity to, if you have any need, we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So won't you come as together we stand and as we sing.